Glad to have you with us here this morning. If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew chapter 13, the passage that was read for us a few moments ago. I would be remiss this morning if I did not recognize a guest with us today. Um, we have uh, special guests with us, Reverend Rick and Kathy Byam are with us. Um, both are family of First Alliance from a couple of years back. won't tell you how far. I'll get in trouble. Um, Kathy is the daughter of Ruth St. George and the niece of Margaret Churchill and Catherine Johnson. The Byams have served as career missionaries to Indonesia, and Rick now serves as the Director of Missionary Candidate Development at the National Office of the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Colorado Springs. They're sitting in the back with family. It's probably hard for you to see them, but Rick, if you just give a wave and maybe you could greet them later today. We're glad to have them with us. The email I received said that I needed a spray bottle that had a nozzle that could be turned to stream mode. I'd take the spray bottle and open it and pour into it um, uh, a bottle of distilled white vinegar. I wasn't supposed to mix the vinegar with water and dilute it, just straight white vinegar. Obviously put the lid back on. Maybe not obvious for some of you, but put the lid back on. Take the bottle, set it to stream mode, and go out into my driveway, and wherever the weeds were growing in my cracks and crevices in the driveway, to spray that distilled vinegar on it. Preferably a day that was bright, hot, and sunny. So that eliminates eerie. And, um, and then let, let it do its work. And in five minutes of work, I would have all of my weeds taken care of. This is how I was to get rid of the weeds that were growing up through the cracks of my driveway and my sidewalk. Weeds, they're a nuisance, aren't they? They're just everywhere. They destroy the quality of the grass that grows. They choke out the life of the gardens that, are, that we take so much time to plant. And they force us. They force us to work harder as we try to grow our flower beds and keep our driveways nice and our sidewalks clean. They're just a nuisance, a pain in the rear end. Nobody wants to deal with weeds. They don't want to get down on their hands and knees and scuff their hands, pull in the weeds. We just don't want to deal with it. Am I right? We're tired of the weeds. I'm not a good weed person. And I guess at this point I should preface this that the... Uh, prayer team really wanted me to impress upon us this morning that we're talking about weeds this morning, not weed. <laughs> Just telling you what the prayer team said, okay? So might want to, some of you will get that in a little while. Um, but weeds are a nuisance. One problem with them is that some of them just like, look like the flowers that are growing in the flower beds, Right? Have you ever had this problem? You go out, husbands, to, uh, not to stereotype, husbands go out and you're trying to help your wife. I'm going to help my wife. I'm going to pull the weeds for her. And you spend your time on your knees, sweating out in that garden, pulling all these weeds for her, only for her to come out horrified that you've just pulled the, the flowers and the plants that she's planted. How do we know? 
How do we know what's a weed? How do we know what's a plant? In fact, when we lived in Somerset, one of the things uh, that I ended up doing was I just got the weed whacker out. I didn't care. We were just mowing them all down. And to my chagrin, my wife had planted a flower out in a certain part of the yard. To this day, I don't know why it was planted there, but it was. She's about to tell me why. We'll save that for later. But it was planted in a spot where I thought, hey, that's a weed. Went over with the weed whacker, got the tractor out, cleaned it all up, you know, took care of it, only to find out I had done the wrong thing. Weeds. They're just a nuisance. They're everywhere. We can't get rid of them. They're hard to deal with. We can't tell them, tell the difference between them and flowers. A couple weeks ago, our youngest daughter, four years old, little Emma, came into my office all filled with excitement and joy, handing me a beautiful bouquet of flowers that she has just picked for her mom and dad. We would call them dandelions. She calls it a beautiful bouquet of flowers. It's hard to tell the difference between the weeds and the flowers. It's overwhelming. So much so that sometimes it's not even worth the effort. We don't even want to deal with it. We'll just mow right over it and start from scratch. Jesus used this imagery of the weeds in the Gospel of Matthew, the passage that we read for that was read for you this morning. And this morning we launch into a, a summer series called Summer Stories. We're going to be sharing with you the parables that Jesus uh, shared with his disciples, with the crowds that had gathered when they came to hear him teach. We'll be sharing you the parables, some of the parables that Jesus uh, spoke that are recorded for us in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we'll be unpacking those and seeing what it is this summer that Jesus said to the crowds and to the people and to the disciples and try to apply that to our hearts and to our lives today. But today we begin with this passage from Matthew chapter 13 about the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds that were growing among those fields. Before we get too far, I think it's important for us to uh, stop for a moment and let me share with you some some parables of or some parameters of parables, so that we are all uh, operating off the same page over the next few weeks this summer as these parables are presented. Um, we want to give you a, a framework and a foundation to build upon, so that as we move across this these topics. Uh, you'll be able to grab hold of them and understand what it is that we are, we are trying to unpack for you. First of all, we need to uh, understand and be reminded that parables, as you know, are short stories that are sometimes uh, told in allegorical form, but short stories that are told to drive home a point. There's a point that the speaker is trying to make. There's a point that Jesus is trying to make as he tells these stories, as he shares these stories with the crowd. And, and in these parables, it is the lesson, the lesson of the story that has value. And if we are to grow and if we are to understand what Christ was saying, then, then it is imperative that we who listen, we who read these stories, understand and catch the analogy that Jesus is drawing and, and painting for us as we study these. R.T. France said that it demands thought and perception if we are going to benefit from it. 
And depending on our degree of openness, depending on how open we are to to understanding the teachings of, of Christ, the parables have the ability to enlighten us or to repel us. Because they are so powerful, because they are so poignant, these parables have the ability to enlighten our understanding if we are open to the teachings of Christ, or they have the ability to just repel us away from Him. That is the power of these parables. Learning from and responding to parables is not simply found by just reading over them. In fact, I said in the first service that if you come this summer and you don't interact with the parable, if you just hear us speak these words, if you just open the book and read over with us and then put it aside and put it away, then you will be frustrated this summer. Because in order to really understand what Christ is saying about uh, the kingdom of God, to learn from it and to respond to these parables, we must interact with the story. We must get involved with what Christ is saying. We must wrestle with the passage. We must dig for ourselves and understand and, and pray and ask God to give us wisdom. What are you saying about the kingdom? What are you teaching us about God? What are you teaching us about following after you? It demands that we interact with it. The hearer, those of us that listen to these stories, we must contribute if true understanding is going to be the result. The second thing, the second parameter that we need to lay down is that in Matthew's context, especially as we see it this morning, in Matthew's context, the story, the story that Jesus tells is always for the crowd. You know, when Jesus went from town to town teaching and and performing miracles and bringing the gospel truth to, to different towns and villages, as he traveled, oftentimes crowds would come out from the the village and gather around and listen to what he was saying. As Jesus traveled, it wasn't only the 12 disciples that walked with him. There were groups of people that that would travel with him from town to town. But also as he got to the village, people would come out from the houses and join into this massive crowd, kind of like you this morning, this massive crowd that would just sit and listen to the teachings and hear what he had to say. And what's interesting is that in Matthew's context, Every time Jesus tells a parable, the story is always for the crowd. Everyone who's sitting here. But the interpretation of the story, what does it mean? Jesus, what are you really telling us? I don't want to wrestle with it. Don't break it down. Help drill down with me what this really means. The interpretation is always for the disciples. In every context in Matthew, the the story is for the crowd. And the understanding and the interpretation is for the disciples. It's interesting that he took the time to make sure that the 12 men who would change the face of the earth after he was removed from the earth, these 12 men got an in-depth teaching on what these parables really meant. These 12 men who would shape the face of Christianity and launch it out as we know it today, got an in-depth teaching of what the kingdom of God was really like. The crowds were left to wrestle with it. Some of us are followers, some of us are not. Some of us are just tagging along for the ride to see what's going on. Some of us like the music, like the teaching. Jesus did a few good things. Let's let's try to see what's going on over there. Maybe I'll get a free loaf of bread or fish out of the thing. I don't know. But the crowd had to wrestle with it themselves. Jesus drilled down with the disciples. Third thing that we understand about the parables... uh, J. Bernard McGee says that in Jesus' parables, 
He's showing what the kingdom of heaven is like in its present state. These parables, these teaching moments of Christ, Jesus is showing you, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like right now. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the foundation of how we should act and live as followers of Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live like Christ and follow after Him? Matthew chapter 5, in that context, in that gospel, sets that picture for us. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Matthew paints a picture for us through Jesus' words of what the kingdom will be like when Christ returns. Sandwiched in between the two, how we are to live at the very beginning of his ministry, what the kingdom will be like when he comes, sandwiched in the middle are these parables that say, this is what the kingdom is like now. This is what you can expect today. Today, in the kingdom of heaven, this is what it's like. It's interesting to me how often we come to God how we come to Christ, how we come to the church and church leaders with our own agenda of what Christianity should be like. Don't you find that to be true that so often in our prayer time and in our way of thinking and, and in how we believe Christians should live and operate, we often come to God with our own agenda and say, God, This is what I want. This is what I need. This is how we should be living. Uh, I see the way these people live over there. I'm praying for them because they can't be Christians if they're doing that. And we, we come to God with our own agenda. And God says, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is really like? I'll show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not about your agenda. It's not about what you believe. It's not about what you think. And Jesus launches into these parables and he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is. Present tense, today, right now. And oftentimes, oftentimes, the teaching that Jesus brings about the parables, through the parables, about the kingdom, so totally blows away our perspective of what we thought the kingdom was about, what we thought the kingdom was like, what we thought it meant to be a true Christian and a true follower and a real devoted person of Christ, that it hits us right between the eyes and moves us to a point of conviction. These parables challenge us to think through how God is working out His sovereign purpose in His Word and to recognize His methods of reaching people. Jesus uses these parables and helps us realign our own thinking on what it means to truly be a follower of Christ and what it means to truly live in the kingdom. The kingdom. Every time we use that in these parables, this idea of the kingdom refers to those who who are true followers of Christ, those who have given their hearts and their lives to Christ uh, as leader of their life, forgiver of their sins, Lord and Savior. And it's not, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about a local church per se. We're talking about all of Christendom around this world. What is the kingdom of heaven like? 
It's like all of the people gathered around this world. What are we who are global Christ followers? How are we to live? How are we to interact? What is God saying to all of us? It's not about our local context. It's not about my own life, but it's about everyone. God speaks these truths. And when we talk about the kingdom, who's in the kingdom, it's a global picture. It's a global context. All those people who align themselves with Christ, give their hearts to Him, and follow hard after Him. That is the picture of the kingdom. The kingdom is all of Christendom. Not only the church, but it is the movement and the family and the community that is Christianity. To that end, Jesus says, this is what it's like in the kingdom, in the present state. Until He returns, until I come back to establish the kingdom on earth forever, this is what the kingdom is like now. Until He comes again for His church, until God's final apocalyptic judgment, this is what you can expect life to be like in the kingdom. Having said that, we must also consider that the parables do not represent a closed or final state for people. They represent what is happening in the kingdom. Present tense, right now. They represent what we expect, but they are not intended to leave us thinking that there is no hope. When Jesus talks about people who are far from God, people who are removed from God, people who will at the end of time be cast aside from God. It's not talking about them in their present state right now as being closed and final. It's not as though there's no hope for them. It is the end, uh, it is the end destination. But in the present state, these parables reflect the life that is going on. And the Scriptures always show us, even outside of the parables, the Scriptures always show us that there is always hope for people to be transformed by the power of the Gospel. When we read these parables, and we think to ourselves, well, these people are far from God, these people are the weeds, these people are the evil ones, these people are whomever are are opposing God, there's no hope for them. That's the wrong attitude that we bring to the parables. We need to understand that that this, this group of people will act this way and be like this, but it's not as though there's no hope. There's always hope. There's always hope until we draw our final breath or until God comes back. There's always hope for people's lives to be transformed. And we can't lose that in the midst of the analogies and the parables that Jesus is, uh, the picture that he's painting for us. Finally, we need to understand that parables provoke a response. We have to do something with what we're being taught. We can't read the stories. We can't wrestle with these stories and not think to ourselves, how does this affect my life? What do I do with this? The kingdom of heaven is like this and Jesus launches into a parable and we have to sit and wrestle with that. It it compels us to do something with these words of Matthew that Jesus spoke. And so these parables over the next number of weeks, both in Matthew's gospel and again in the others, will challenge us and provoke a response from us. So let's get into it this morning. The first of our summer stories, the 
the parable of the weeds, Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Let me quickly recap this for us. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us this parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. Jesus gives the lineup card. The good seed is the Son of Man, who is sowed by the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. Verse 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out His kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, He who has ears. Let him hear. The kingdom is a place of great challenge. As we look at what Jesus is saying to the crowd, and then as he breaks it down for the disciples, we understand that living in the kingdom, what does it mean to live in the kingdom? What does it mean to follow Christ right here today, right where I'm at? It means this, that the kingdom is a place of great challenge. These challenges come in many different forms. And one challenge with this parable is that the wheat has been infiltrated by the weeds. To you and me, we may say, so what? These weeds are growing among the wheat. We'll just get our spray bottle of vinegar out, spray it on the weeds. We'll go out, get the rototiller or the weed whacker, and mow it all down. No big deal. We'll just get rid of the weeds. What's the issue? Jesus speaking in context in the Gospel of Matthew was speaking in a agrarian culture and the listeners knew exactly what the big deal was this wasn't about weeds in the driveway or weeds in the flower bed this was about their livelihood it affected who they were it affected them to the very core of what they were about if they didn't deal with the weeds it could ruin their lives the listeners understood this Because as Jesus shared this parable, He used a very specific word when He used the word weed. He didn't just use a word that that grouped all of the weeds that grew into, into one category. He used a very specific word. The word in the Greek is called zizanion, commonly referred to as darnel. The scientific name for it is lolium temulentum. You need to be impressed that I could say all that. It's darnel ryegrass. 
that Jesus is speaking about. It's a very specific weed that, that he was talking about. And the reason why this is so important is because this weed, this specific one that was growing, resembles the wheat up until the point of maturity, up until the point of the harvest. There's no way to know as the two are growing together, which is the real wheat and which is the weed. There's no way to tell. There's no way to distinguish as the two are growing together. That which was sown by the farmer, by the landowner, by the king, and that which was sown by the enemy. There's no way to know until they mature which is the true wheat and that which is false, a weed sent to destroy the harvest. In our own lives, we grow with other people in, in, in the kingdom, in Christendom. We are seated with people in our churches. We are influenced by people in our communities. There's a global network and moving of people around us that are, that are growing right up beside us who have absolutely no desire to see the kingdom of God advance. But they look just like us. They sing with us. They worship with us. They go to Bible study with us. Because until they're mature, there's no way to understand who they are or what they're about. There's no way to understand what their motives are. You see, when we mature in our faith, that's when we understand that we've grabbed hold of the message of Christ. And as people mature and as people grow and as people develop, we will be able to tell then who are the true followers of Christ and those who are sown among us that have absolutely no desire to see this kingdom advance. It's not until the harvest, it's not until the end, not until they're mature that, these are, that this is known. The other thing that's interesting about this weed is not only does it resemble wheat, but the grains of this weed, the grains that are produced are poisonous. And so as the grains fall and and grow alongside of the wheat, when the wheat is then harvested with this weed at at harvest time, if they're not weeded out, the harvest that is brought in and the crop is is commercially useless and potentially harmful. If the weed is not pulled out, If the weed is not distinguished, if the weed is not separated from the crop, it is potentially uh, harmful and commercially useless. In fact, Roman law recognized that the the deliberate sowing of weeds, among this particular weed, in someone's wheat field was an act of revenge. And it was agricultural sabotage. And the Roman's law, and the Roman law, would punish those people. To you and me, they're just weeds. But in that context, it impacted everything. And in the kingdom, what better way for the enemy to seek revenge on the kingdom than to sow among the kingdom people who have absolutely no desire to see it advance? 
to place people in our pews, to place people in leadership, to place people in, in global movements of influence who have no desire to see the kingdom advance, but to tear it down. What better way for the enemy to render useless and harmful the message of the gospel than to work through people who will bring shame and embarrassment to the worldwide church? What better way for the enemy to render us useless in this kingdom than for us to be so influenced by the weeds that are growing next to us that we may not even recognize because we're not alert, we're not aware, we don't know. What better way for the enemy to render our effectiveness useless than to have the influence of those weeds upon us, we taking on that nature and characteristic and damaging the reputation of the kingdom. This is what the enemy will do. This is how the enemy will sabotage us. And so as we read this passage, we are reminded to be alert and to watch and to be careful. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In the message paraphrase of this, of this uh, verse, the, the writer says this, Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God, who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, He does. We are reminded time after time after time in the Gospels and in the New Testament to be awake, to be alert, to know what's going on, to have our head about us, to know what is happening in our culture and in our world. We have to learn how to distinguish between that which is wheat and that which is a weed, that which is good and that which is evil. We need to know God's truth. We need to be studying His Word. We need to dig deeper into His truth to understand how to live in this community and in this culture. That's why this church continually puts before you opportunities to understand what it is we believe and why we believe. We teach it from the pulpit. We teach it in our Sunday schools, our community life groups. We impress it upon you in small groups. We put it together in different training avenues. One of the areas we're looking to expand in the, the coming uh, months is this, this, this thing that we've called the Truth Project. 13 weeks out of your life to sit and to study and to know why it is you believe what you believe. Because this, en- this world is filled with an enemy who has sown seed among us that wants to devour you, to tear you down, to pull you away from the truth, to masquerade as truth, to grow up right next to you and think that everything is good and right and godly when it is not because we have not understood the truth. This church is giving us, giving you opportunities to stand firm and to know why it is you believe what you believe. One of the partnering agencies that we're, we're looking at is a, is a group called the Pennsylvania Family Institute. 
that helps churches and religious organizations understand what is happening in the, uh, in, in the, in the culture that we live in and what is happening in the government that is, con- that is rising up against um, Christianity and, and true faith. This is not meant to be any kind of political statement. It's not an organization that spews hate or, or, or those kind of things or bigotry. It is, a, it is an organization that says, look, be awake, church. Church, wake up. This is what's happening in our land. This is what's happening in our nation. This is what's happening in our local governments, in our national governments. We need to understand what's going on because if we don't change it, the weeds are going to grow up and going to choke out the very movement that Christ is asking us to be a part of. We need to be aware. If there is ever a time to be sure why we believe what we believe and be aware of what is happening, not only globally, but also locally, the time is now. The other challenge in this parable is that the wheat is expected to grow alongside of the weeds. If it was me, I would want all of the distractions, all of the negative influences, all of the things that rage against God in the kingdom, I would want it all pulled up right now, cast away, and I would want the wheat field to flourish. But it's interesting that in in this parable, Jesus says, not only are the, the weeds going to grow alongside of the wheat, it is expected We are not to be removed from our culture. We are not to be be put aside from from the, the people that are around us that have negative influences, from the people that are around us who will seek to tear down the gospel. We are not called to isolate ourselves from our communities and from our culture. We are called by God to live in our communities, grow up right next to the weeds and the, the, the negative influences that are around us and have influence on them. We are not to be pulled aside. We are not to rip them out of our lives. We are to unite. We are to, to grow with them and walk alongside with them, to have dinner with them, to go to the Sea Wolves games with them, to be in community, to be in relationship and live in our neighborhoods with all of those people who have negative influences, negative judgments, and would like to see nothing better than the kingdom destroyed. The people of God are called to live with those people. And to have a mighty influence. What was the comment that was made about Christ? Who was he a friend of? Sinners. In Luke's gospel, the biggest complaint that the Pharisees and the religious people had against Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners. He went to where the sinners were. He had relationships with people who were so far from him. He embraced them. He knew them. He interacted with them. And He shared love with them. This is the message of the kingdom. We're called to make a difference. The parable doesn't, again, the parable doesn't present a closed state of people. It represents the present reality. The present reality is there are people 
who are living among us, that influence us, that walk beside us, some who are in this church probably, that don't want anything to do with God, anything to do with the kingdom, and will rage against it. We are not called to be removed from that situation. We are called to live with them and have influence on them. Because the gospel message has the power to change lives. The gospel message has the power to change lives. The gospel message changes people in dramatic ways. The gospel message changes their heart. It changes their nature. It changes who they were and makes them someone new. It recreates them in their spirit. Names are changed when the gospel is, is, is sown in a person's life and they grab hold of it. Abram was changed to Abraham. Simon was changed to, to Peter. Wheat, weeds can be changed to wheat if we would let the gospel message flow out from us if we would invest our lives into the lives of other people and stop isolating ourselves from the world that is around us. We need to be careful. We need to be watchful. We need to act wisely. We don't need to do what they do, but we need to live where they live. Matthew 13. Don't get mad at me. Read it. I see your faces right now, just like the first service. You're ready to rush the stage. Matthew 13. It's so interesting to me, isn't it? I don't know if it is to you. As we read this story, the servants, the servants asked the owner, should we, should we, the servants, go and pull the weeds away from the wheat? And Jesus in this parable has the the landowner respond with the word, no. Let them grow together. And when they mature, the harvesters will go and separate the wheat from the weeds. Not my servants. It's not our job to separate who is good and who is evil. It is not our job to draw a line and define these people are righteous, these people are not. These people are wheat and these people are weeds. It's not our job. But we make it our job, don't we? We're so arrogant in our faith at times. We're so pompous. We're so pious. We think we have it all together. We think we know who is who and what is what. And I know I shouldn't live that way. And these people, there's no way they're ever going to know God. So we put them aside and we walk in arrogance and we walk in piety around our communities. And in this parable, Jesus says it's not your place to separate the wheat from the weeds. The harvesters will do that. And the harvesters will do that at the time that the landowner tells them to do it. Not in our time. There's always hope for people. There's always hope. Until they draw their final breath or until the king comes back. 
there's always hope that lives will be changed and lives will be transformed. Running short on time. Last, last thing. The thing about this parable is not only is the kingdom a place of great challenges, but the kingdom is a place of distinction. Throughout this parable, Jesus distinguished between the wheat and the weeds. There was a difference. When harvest time came, when they were fully mature, when all of their works were evident, there was a distinction between the wheat and the weeds, between that which was evil and that which was good. And in that distinction, that which was evil was taken and bound together and cast aside. And that which was righteous was taken into the barn of the landowner. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is, present tense, today, a place of distinction. The gospel message that we teach is not Unitarian. It is not a message of universalism. It is distinct. Regardless of what editorial you will read in the faith section of our paper, we are not Unitarians. We are not Universalists. This message of the kingdom is distinct. It is not popular. It is not a popular message. It is not a message that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It is not a message that will win us many awards. We will be chastised. We will be vilified. We will be written up in our, in our uh, local papers and, and contexts and in the news, locally and globally, as people who hate. But we are telling and preaching a message that says there is a line of distinction The gospel calls for distinction. So many of us want want a God who is loving and caring and embracing and compassionate. And our God is loving and caring and embracing and compassionate. But we do not serve a God who is a candy cane God who will rain down gumdrops and lemon drops. We serve a God who is also holy, who is also righteous, who is also just, and who is the just judge who will have the determining factor at the end of the age. This is the God that we serve. This is the story of the parable. The kingdom is about distinction. And until we draw our last breath, and until the King of Kings returns, there's always, always, always opportunity for people to embrace the kingdom. We lose sight of His righteousness. We lose sight of His holiness. And we preach a message of inclusiveness that that ignores who He is. We're not called We're not called to be angry, hate-filled people. We are called to reflect the character and the priorities of Christ, who lived in his community and influenced the people around him and spoke to them about a relationship, not about a religion.
In fact, Jesus draws this out in this parable. What is it that distinguished those who are evil from those who are good, those who are weeds from those who are wheat? What was it about them? It was their relationship. The wheat are children of the kingdom. And the weeds are children of the evil one. It was always about a relationship. And people today have an opportunity to walk in a relationship, not a religion, not rituals, not laws, not things that we add to the cross, but to walk in faith. With a God who said, I will come down and walk among you. I will walk in relationship with you. I will forgive your sins. And I will lead your life. And until we draw our last breath and until the King returns, there's always hope and there's always that opportunity. What is it like to live in the kingdom? This is what the kingdom is like. Let's pray.